Now, as I begin this morning, I want to, as we kind of think about today's message, I I really want to ask you a couple of questions, and I want you to think about this, just just kind of where you are. Um, Don't have to answer this, but I I want you to think about where are you right now? Where are you right now? And and then the second question would be, where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? And maybe a third question would be this. Has the enemy convinced you that you can't get from where you are to where you want to be? Has the enemy convinced you of that? My prayer for this message this week has been that God would really show you that through his power, you can get from where you are to where you, to where you want to be. My prayer for you is that you would really see that that the heart of God for you is to walk in victory in your relationship with God. That you would experience victory, that you would walk in it every single day in your Christian life. And so for that to happen, you're going to need to spend some time thinking about what you think about. You're going to need to spend some time just examining how you think and the patterns of thought that you, that you have in your life. For you to experience victory in your Christian life, it's all about how you think. It's all about winning the battle of your mind. It's about taking every thought into captive, into captivity for Christ. That's the key to victory. Now, church, when I'm talking about victory, I'm not talking about victory in some sporting event. I'm not talking about some academic achievement at school or some you know, job accomplishment. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about victory over your emotions. I'm talking about victory over attitudes, long-held attitudes and outlooks and perspective. I'm talking specifically about victory over circumstances in your life that are pulling you down. That's what I'm talking about. And what I know as a pastor is there are a number of Christians who are living in perpetual defeat in their Christian life because they don't think right. They think wrong thoughts about God. They think wrong thoughts about other people. And they think wrong thoughts about themselves. And what we do is we get so used to it, we get acclimated to being pinned down by the enemy. And we live in perpetual defeat because we're not thinking right. And the enemy just plays games with us all the time. And so some of us don't even realize that the word of God calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We don't realize that we have been grafted in the story of God giving his son for us to set us free. We have literally been brought into that story. And Jesus defeated sin, death, and hell, and he took that victory. And church, what he did is he imparted it to you and to me. That's what he did. And so that victory, if you're a Christian, lives inside of you. The problem is you may not even be aware of that as you live in perpetual defeat. Here's the kicker about the whole thing. Victory really doesn't even depend on your circumstances. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, as soon as, oh he's talking about this now. And, and so what's in the back of your mind is all the circumstances that are weighing you down. And I'm just here to tell you that victory is not, it's not circumstantial. It's not dependent upon things needing to change kind of around you for you to really get traction in this area of your life. It can start today, church. 
victory can start today when you walk out the door because it's about how you think. And it's about thinking thoughts that are in line with, with the heart of God. So what I want to do today is I just want to read a great passage of Scripture uh, to us today. This is right out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is what he is talking about here is, is literally how to be transformed. The key to transformation, I think, uh, in the Christian life. So let's read verses 1 through 6. I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God today. So the Apostle Paul's writing, he says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. That's what they were, they would always say that about him, that he was, he was real bold away, but real meek and mild when he was there face to face. So he's kind of just, you know, reminding them of that. But then he says this, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. And here's the, here the, here's the key passage, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, to destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Now, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is he's talking about winning the battle of your mind. What he's talking about is taking every thought captive as the key to to living this Christian life. So I want to just give you really three parts or three steps, whatever you want to call it, of, of really winning the battle of your mind. And the first part is this, that if we're going to win the battle of our mind, if we're going to change the way we think, we've got to realize that Jesus is king. We've got to realize that Jesus is king. Let me show this to you. This is not explicit in the text. It's, it's implicit, okay? It's not expressly stated in this text that Jesus is king. It's just a given, And let me show it to you. Look at verse 5. He says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now you notice that last phrase? Take every thought captive. Now I want you to think about taking every thought captive right now. All right? Just think about that for a minute. Do you know what he's saying here? He is saying that we owe God our thoughts. We owe him our thought life, that he has claim, he has ultimate authority over every single area of our life, including our thought life. Now, he's not saying here, you need to obey the Ten Commandments. He's not saying here, you need to, you know, care for the poor. He's not saying here, just be a good person. He's saying, you know what? You owe God your thoughts. Even your thought life belongs to God. Now, that is what I call ultimate authority. I mean, think about that, church, that God, that God has authority over how we think, over every single thought in our life. And, and you're, you're probably thinking, all right, on what basis can God make that claim? On what basis can God have our thoughts? Well, I, I think it's pretty simple. Uh, it really, uh, you see it in 
uh, Colossians 1 and 2, where uh, Paul talks about everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. You see it in Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates this world that we live in and he creates you and me. And I think the foundation of the authority that God has, his claims over our lives, the authority that he has over our thoughts, comes from the fact that he created us. See, it's really a bottom line question, church. Either you're an accident. You are an accidental product of a chemical reaction that took place, you know, billions of years ago. And in that case, if we're all just accidents, God doesn't exist. You have absolutely no purpose in your life. And there's no such thing as right and wrong. Because God's not here to establish right and wrong. We're just chemical reactions at best on our best day. That's what we got. Or you were created by a powerful and loving God. That's our two choices. And because he created you, you owe him everything. That's what he's saying here. Think of it this way. Let's say that you wrote a song. And that song makes it big. That song hits Spotify, it hits Apple Music, it's number one on all the charts, world charts. You write this song, you send that thing out, man, and it hits it big. It is a world sensation. I mean, everybody's dancing to it and everything. Now, can I just ask you a question? Who owns that song? You do. You own that song. Even if the song didn't make it big, who owns that song? You own that song. You know why? Because you created it. And if you hadn't created it, that song wouldn't exist. Let's say that you create a battery that never needs to be recharged for cell phones. And you slap a patent on that. Who owns the patent? Who owns that phone and design? You do. Who gets all the royalties from that? You do. Why? Because it's yours. It belongs to you. If you paint a painting, and it's a beautiful painting, you know, and you painted it, where do you get to put your name on that painting? Bottom right-hand corner. You're going to put my name on there? No, because I didn't paint it. And the reason why is this. The things that, the, you know, the painting and, 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 and the song wouldn't even exist if we had not created them. And in the same way, we would not exist if God had not created us. And this is where, this is where we get into trouble. This is where we start stinking thinking because we start thinking that we are the determiner of our own destiny, that our life belongs to us and that we answer to us when in reality, our entire life belongs to God. Our entire life belongs to God. We start living life as, well, it's my body. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It's my sexuality. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It's my money, I'll do whatever I want to do. It's my giftedness, it's my talent, it's my ability, it's my time. I'm going to do whatever I want to do with what I have. It's mine. Now, there's a problem with that, church. The Bible calls that sin when we're living our life without, without any consideration or deference to our Creator. And so, church... Everything in your life belongs to God. Your time, your health, your lack of health, your kids, uh, your job, every, every single thing has been given to you as a gift 
from God. And you owe it to Him. And so, biblical thinking starts with that realization. It starts with, what, what am I claiming for myself? And, and, and what really does belong to God? Well, all of it belongs to God. Let me share with you a quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says this, he says, Every faculty you have, every power of thinking or of moving of your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life if exclusively to his service, you couldn't give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. So that when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, I will tell you what it is really like. It's like a small child going to its father and saying, Daddy, give me six pence to buy you a birthday present. Of course the father does, and he's pleased with the child's present. present uh, but it's, and it's all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. When a man has made these two discoveries, God can really get to work. It's after this, check this one out, that life, real life begins. He says, that man is awake now. He is saying that our entire life belongs to him. And when we make the realization, when the light bulb starts going off, that's when we start to experience real life. Because now we're getting traction into being who we were made to be and living like who we were made to live. To live. And so, so he, is, he is saying this, that that's when joy begins. That's when the power of God begins to work in our life. When we recognize that Jesus is king and I owe him every single thought, every single piece of my life because he has authority. So let me just let me just ask you this question. Is there an area of your life where you're saying, you know what, I'm going to give this to God, but God hands off of this area. I'm going to give God this, but not that. I'll, I'll, I'll give God, you, you know, uh, my time, but I'm not going to give him my friendships. I'll give God my money, but I'm not going to give him my dating life. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to give him this, but I'm not going to give him that. Church, it's, it's not, our lives are not segmented like that. It's, it's kind of a, it's all or nothing. It's an all or nothing deal. So is there an area of your life where you just say, God, hands off, that's mine. That's mine. Now, if we're going to take every, every thought captive, we need to realize that Jesus is king. And secondly, we're going to get even more in, into this a little bit. We need, to recognize, we need to recognize that we are in a battle. If we're going to take every thought captive, we need to recognize that we are in a battle. Specifically, that our mind is a battlefield. Now let me just show you, let me show you what I'm talking about in verse 3. Let's just kind of walk through this. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, and he's just talking about as human beings, we've got physical bodies, we walk in the flesh. We're not waging war according to the flesh. We're not waging war as they've been waging war for, for centuries throughout human history. All right. For the weapons of our warfare. So we have a different warfare. See, there's a contrast going on here. He's talking about there's human warfare. We see that on the news and we know it from the history books. But then there's the warfare of a Christian. It's our warfare. Our warfare is different. It's not like that. 
And what he's talking about is this. He's, he's laying out for us, he's reminding us of a great spiritual truth that you and I are in a battle every single day. And the battlefield is in the battle, battlefield of our minds. And you may not realize that. But every day we wake up in a battle. Your mind is a battlefield. And that is where the enemy attacks you in your mind and in your heart. And that's what he's talking about. And so he, he, he goes on to talk about that we destroy uh, or the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power. We're going to talk about that in a minute. To demolish strongholds and arguments and lofty opinions against the knowledge of God. So, so let, me just kind of, let me just kind of show you how this works. Let's just get real practical about how this battle works and what this battle looks like. I, I think a great illustration of this is in you know, the first few chapters of Genesis where the, the serpent is tempting Eve. So Eve is in the, Eve is in the garden, Adam's with, with her. God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat of all, the, you can eat every single tree in the garden except for one. Just don't eat of this one. And he gives them, he gives them the law and he says, you can't eat of this tree. And then a little bit later, the serpent comes in and uh, he doesn't come up to Eve and say, eat of the tree, eat of the tree, eat of the tree. Now he doesn't do that at all. Do you know what he does? It's so subtle. It's so smooth. But it's absolute treason. You know what he does? He begins to question the character of God. He begins, what he does, I'm paraphrasing, but basically what he says to Eve is, God's holding out on you. God doesn't have your best interest in mind. God's keeping you from something that's rightfully yours. And it's good, and he knows it's good, and he doesn't want you to have it. That's what he whispers to her. Now, we read through that story in Genesis, and we kind of think, well, uh, you know, there were the six days of creation, then God took the seventh day off, and then all this happened on the eighth day. You know, about 9.30 in the morning while Eve was having her coffee, you know what I'm saying? And so we kind of think it happened that, quick, that quickly. And so by, by noon, Adam and Eve had rebelled against God, eaten of the tree, and the whole world was a mess. We don't really know that. He, he, it could have been a week, it could have been a month, it could have been a year. But what we do know is this. She acted on it. She acted on it. She acted on the, on the seed that the enemy planted within her. Can I ask you a question, church? What seed has the enemy planted in your mind? What thought has the enemy planted in your mind and in your heart that you're just kind of hosting and receiving and nurturing right now? What is it? There are a lot of different options on this. How about this one? No one loves me. You ever heard that one before? No one loves me. Um, how about this one? You are your addiction. Your addiction defines you. Or your failure defines you from whatever it was in the past. Your failure, your addiction, your sin defines you. That's who you are. How about this one? You're always going to be that way. You're always going to be that way. You're never going to change. You've tried changing in the past and it's never worked for you. Christianity doesn't work for you. You ever heard that one? How about this one? 
You know, you'll feel better if you just sin, if you'll just go ahead and sin. You'll feel so much better. How about that one? You heard that one? How about this? You're entitled to be bitter. I mean, after what they did to you, you can't let them off the hook. You've got to retaliate. You've got to be bitter. How about this one? You are not enough. You're not enough as a wife. You're not enough as a mom. You're not enough as whatever. You ever heard that? Has the enemy planted any of that in your mind and in your heart and you just kind of host it? You just kind of think about it. See, what the enemy knows is this. The battle is not external. The battle is internal. The, the enemy knows that if he can just lob a thought into our mind and in our heart and we just receive it and we just take it in, that eventually we'll act on it because the writer of Proverbs says, as a man thinks within his heart, so he is. So all, all the enemy has to do is just lob that thing right on in and we just catch it and bring it in and we just sit on it. And it's a matter of time, church, because here's the deal. Your thought life is the foundation of your actions. And if he can plant a seed in your thought life and you'll water it and fertilize it, it'll grow. And then you're, you're destroyed. See, if you harbor the thought, you let it take residence in your life, you're going to act on it. And so all of those thoughts that we allow into our mind become reflected in our behavior and in our actions. There's a gr another great illustration of this. Uh, this is the story of Moses uh, leading the people of Israel. He sends in the 12 spies to, to kind of spy out the land of Canaan, uh, the, the promised land that God had promised uh, to the people of Israel. So Moses sends the 12 spies in. 10 of them come back with a bad report. And they tell Moses, they tell him, Man, the land is amazing, like really good, but we'll never take it. We'll never have it. And Moses is like, why? Because they've got giants there. I mean, it's gray land. It's flowing with milk and honey, man. It is, it is, all, it is bountiful. It is beautiful. We'll never have it. And Moses is like, what are you talking about? And those guys are like, well, because we're grasshoppers compared to them and in their eyes, we're grasshoppers. That's, that's literally what they say. We are grasshoppers compared to them, and we are grasshoppers in their eyes. Now, here's the question that I have about that. How in the world did those guys know that they were grasshoppers in, in, the, in the eyes of the Canaanites? How did they know that? Did they go and ask them? Did they go and say, hey, uh, we're spying out your land to conquer it? And we just want to know, what do you think of us? You guys are like grasshoppers to us. Oh, okay, well, we won't bother you anymore. Did they say that? No, there was no communication. Do you know what the enemy did? The enemy just lobbed it right into their mind and heart, and they caught it and took it in. And then they took the bad report to Moses, and they said, we'll never get to the promised land. You see that, church? He, the enemy deceived them. It, it, it was never about the size of the Israelites compared to the size of the Canaanites. It was never about that because it's not about our power and our strength and our giftedness in the first place. It's about what a sovereign God chooses to do through us. It's about his power and his might, not ours. You see the deception there? And they, they, went, they, went, in, they went all in, hook, line, 
and sink. And so the question is this, what is the enemy planted in your mind? I'll give you five kind of rough categories for this. Uh, Is it fear, number one? Worry, number two? Lack of self-worth, I am nothing, number three? Um, Temptation, number four? Anybody ever experienced temptation? Am I the only one in this room? Okay, okay, it was me. Uh, And then number five, uncertainty about the future. I don't know, I'm lost. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just devastated. I'm lost, uncertain future. And that's what he does. Church, can I just tell you that your heavenly father will never whisper to you, you are not enough. He's never going to tell you that. But the father of lies sure will. The father of lies will tell you that. Do you know that your heavenly father will never tempt you? But the father of lies has been a tempter from the beginning. And if you allow him, he's going to run roughshod over your life. He's going to pin you down. He's going to, he's going to hold you in bondage and, and conquer and destroy your life. That's what he does. And so you've got to think about what you're thinking about. You've got to take every thought into captivity for Christ. I'm not sure what the enemy says to you, but I, I, I tend to think that it has probably this kind of flavor. You know where you are and you're never going to move from where you are to where God wants you to be. That's probably the heart of where he's, what he's telling you. And this is real, church. It doesn't matter if you're a student middle school, elementary school kid. doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years. It doesn't matter. The enemy's always working on your thoughts. And you need to think about what you're thinking about. You're in a battle. You need to realize Jesus is king. And here's number three. You need to remember Jesus, Jesus, Jesus' power is the key to victory. Jesus' power is the key to victory. Let me show you this. Verses 3 and 4, let me show you how this kind of plays out. We'll look at it again. He says, for we walk in the flesh. We're not waging a war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, he says, are not of the flesh, but, but have divine power. Our weapons have God's power. He has given us powerful weapons that, that are infused with Almighty God. That's what he's saying here. And, and so this divine power to destroy strongholds, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. So, so what he's saying here is this, that, that the weapons that we have have divine power to them and, and they have an end result. When we use them, what, what happens is they destroy strongholds, arguments, and every opinion that raises itself against the knowledge of God. That, that's, that's the weapons that, that we have been given uh, in our walk with Him. All right, so let's, let's just kind of think you know, think this through. What, what's an argument? What's, a, what's an opinion? All right, so an argument or an opinion is really just an assertion of truth. And, and what characterizes the enemy's arguments and opinions is they contradict the Word of God. And what, they, what he does is he lobs those things in, and they're coming into our life. And if we allow them, if we receive them, they, they become a part of us, And then the enemy has a stronghold in our mind and in our heart. He does. 
when we receive them, they become a stronghold. Now, a stronghold is a fortress. It's like a, it's just like a, a safe place for an enemy army to occupy and then launch raids from and launch missions from. And when we receive these thoughts and host them in and, and, and bring them into our mind and heart, we give place to the enemy inside of us. Now, here's a question. Scott, are you saying that we're demon-possessed if we allow that to happen? Here's what I would say to that. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. But you don't need to be demon-possessed if you're willing to believe every single lie that the enemy throws into your heart. As long as he can pin you down, he doesn't need to possess you. He's already got you defeated. He can move on to somebody else. Can I get an amen to that? So what you have to do is you've got to reject it. You've got to reject it. You've got to take every thought captive uh, to Christ. So what does this look like? Well, it could look like this. Uh, let's try this argument. Uh, God doesn't love you. You've been too bad. You've committed too many sins. There's no way he could forgive you. He doesn't love you. All right? So that's an argument raised against the knowledge of God. So what do you, what do, you do with that? Well, what do you do with that is you... You realize the truth of God. You say, uh, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It doesn't, it doesn't categorize certain sins as being bad or good. It just says if we just confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You know, one that I get hit with all the time is I'm not enough as a dad. I'm not enough as a husband. I'm not enough as a pastor. I get hit with that all the time. And, you know, I got I to gotta defend that. And uh, the way I defend it is this. It's not about me. That my sufficiency doesn't come from myself. God has made me sufficient in him. That Jesus, the gospel is this, church, Jesus is enough. He is enough in the places where I'm not enough. Praise be to God. And he makes up the difference. So I'm not going to fall for the enemy's trap to get my spiritual eyes turned looking at myself. I'm going to get my eyes on the cross looking to Jesus because that's where victory is. Can I get an amen to that? That's how it works, church. You got to think about what you're thinking about. You see, God has... God has given his son and his son has conquered sin, death, and hell. And that is the storyline of scripture. And God has brought you into that storyline. He has brought you into his family. He's brought you into that victory and you need to live and walk in that victory. It's not, the message of the gospel is not, well, you guys need to get some guts and get your act together and kind of get moving on this. No, you need to lean in to the story of God because that story is a story of victory. And you, you may have been in church your entire life and never known the victory that God has imparted to you. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus won the victory and he gives it to us. He gives it to us. And so the enemy, the enemy has been absolutely defeated. That is why church Easter is such a big day. That is why Easter is such a big deal. Because, because Jesus defeated the enemy. 
Now, some of you are like, okay, Scott, if the war is over and Jesus has defeated the enemy, then why do we still have these battles to fight? Well, that's a really good question, and I'll tell you why. Do you know that right after World War II, when the Allies, you know, uh, when the Germans, the Nazis signed the surrender papers and uh, the Allies invaded Europe and uh, liberated Europe, do you know that for weeks after those surrender papers were signed in Germany, for weeks there was combat in Germany because there were still Nazi holdouts in different places all over the country and all over Europe. So American soldiers had to go in and weed those guys out one battle at a time. The war was over, but they still had some fighting to do. And that's a great illustration where you are and where I am. The war's over, but we got some fighting to do. And what God really is after is he wants us to learn how to rely on him. He wants us to learn to use the weapons that have divine power. Now, Real quick, how do, we gain, how do we gain access to this victory, to this power? How do we gain access to it? I will tell you, the principal way is through the Word of God. It is through the Word of God. Philippians or Hebrews 4.12 says it like this. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. See, that's a weapon. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What he's talking about there is he is alluding to the places that we've given to the enemy, the lies that we've bought into, and the word of God has divine power to cut that out and root it out and, and give us freedom. Does that make sense? And so the word of God is to be taken and used against those thoughts to counter the arguments, to counter the lofty opinions that have raised themselves against the knowledge of God. In other words, there's no free floating thought in our minds anymore. We have to take every thought captive through, through the word of God. Now church, let me just say it this way. Can I be so bold? I can't do this for you. I wish I could, but I can't. This is in your mind between you and God and the enemy. And you're going to have to do it. And you do it through reliance on the word of God. All right, so, so here's the question. How do I take every thought captive? Let me, give you, let me give you two ways to do this. Number one, you need to identify the specific thought. You need to identify the specific thought. You know, we hear this thought from the enemy. You're worthless. And you know what we say because we're so gullible. Really? Really? You're worthless. Come on, devil. You, you got to take it easy on me. I've had a hard time. You know, I'm just feeling kind of down. I'm just kind of moping around. You're worthless. You got to figure out what you're going to do with that. Is that really what the word of God says about you? Do you, know, do you know how valuable you are in the eyes of God? So much so that God gave up what was most valuable to him to secure you. That's how valuable you are. So maybe you need to dwell on the gospel, right? So, so you need to identify that specific thought. I like to ask two different questions when it comes to different thoughts. They're like, where did that come from? I ask two questions. Here's the first question I ask. Where did that thought come from? Is that a God thought or is that an enemy thought? And so, and so if, if I'm, I'm feeling accusation and judgment in, in, my, in my thought life, that's probably, that's not coming from God. It's coming from the enemy or from myself. 
And then the second question is this, is the thought congruent with the word of God? So you identify the thought, you've identified it, you got to ask two questions. Where did it come from and is it congruent with the Word of God? If it's not congruent with the Word of God, you know what you need to do? You need to do number two. You need to bind that thought in the name of Jesus. You need to bind that thought in the name of Jesus. Now, we know that uh, the demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Um, but the way that you bind that thought in the name of Jesus, again, is using Scripture, okay? And the way, what this looks like comes right from James, where James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the, who? Devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, lean on the grace that God has given to you, and and bind that thought in the name of Jesus. So, so if the enemy is accusing me or, or saying something about me, I'm going to quote scripture right back at him and resist him in the name of Jesus. That's how you do it. That's how you take every single thought captive. And church, I would just encourage you to start memorizing scripture because you don't have time to whip the Bible out every time. You got to have it in your mind and in your heart, and I'll just say this, and I want to close with this. If you don't bind the enemy, the enemy's going to bind you. That's what's at stake. And so the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus allowed himself to be bound for all of us so that we could be free. So that we could be where he wants us to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have divine weapons that are powerful and effective against arguments, against opinions that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God, the truth of God. Thank you that we don't have to live pinned down anymore. Thank you that our entire life belongs to you. You've won the war. And you've given us everything we need for the battle. So God, just, just work in this place today. Help us to think about what we think about, God. Help us to apply the word of God to the lies of the enemy. That it would, it would pierce us all the way down to the deepest parts of us. So that that stuff's rooted out of us. And we're free, healthy strong in you and so we thank you we praise you and all of God's people said amen